Artificial intelligence is behind a flurry of cutting-edge new technologies at the moment. But AI itself isn't all that new. Your phone's autocorrect is a form of AI we've been using for the better part of a decade, admittedly to sometimes mixed results. What is new, however, is generative AI, the class of AI like ChatGPT that is designed to generate content based on a prompt from a user. By now, many of you have been probably playing around with ChatGPT or AI art generators like Picasso or OpenArt. Maybe you've just been doing fun stuff like having it explain inflation as if it was an episode of Seinfeld, or maybe write a haiku about writing a haiku. Maybe that's just me. It's like magic, interacting with a computer that can respond as a human might. Professionally, many of us are experimenting with generative AI tools to create everything from social media posts, to graphic images, to full marketing strategies. And despite the doom and gloom headlines, it feels like we're at the dawn of an exciting new era. With that in mind, we decided to bring together three leading thinkers on communications and technology to share their thoughts. I'm Brittany Paxman. I'm a managing partner at Point 600. Point 600 is a communications consulting firm that specializes in data and analytics. And we help really large organizations figure out how to measure and improve corporate communications with data and technology. Hi, I'm John Awada. I spent 35 years at IBM where I was um, the leader of marketing and communications for about a decade before I retired in 2019. Since then, among other things, I'm spending time at Yale School of Management. Hi, I'm Dan Nessel. I'm the leader of communications for Lixel Americas. Lixel is a housing products water technology company based in Japan, a global company with brands such as Groa and American Standard and DXV and more under our belt. Um, I lead a communications team for the Americas of six, and we are really uh, excited about AI and about technology and um, how we can integrate all of that into our day-to-day -day and our workflows. Over the next three episodes, we'll talk about where AI is going and its implications for the communication profession. What is the world of opportunity that AI can open up for us? What about the risks? the ones we can anticipate, and crucially, the ones we can't. Today, we're starting with the basics. What is generative AI, and what do you need to know about it? I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Rivet360 has been working with Paige to bring you The New CCO for more than six years, and that goes way beyond just editing and production. They're true thought partners, helping us develop our show's unique voice and identity, brainstorm ideas, and tell, well, riveting stories. To me, that's what makes them and our show so special. They're storytellers, first and foremost. And as communicators, I know we can all appreciate the value of a story well told. So if you're thinking about launching a podcast, or you have one that needs some fresh ideas, visit rivet360.com to book a free consultation. So the topic today is AI. It's safe to say, I think, that that topic has dominated conversation over technology in general, but a lot of professions are thinking about how it may enable, improve, disrupt the work that they do. And so we're having a conversation today about what we think the implications are for AI for the communications profession to level set a little bit, because I think it's still very nascent and there's still a lot that's not yet known or is still misunderstood about AI. I wanna ask you each, how do you think about AI? What is it? And what do you think people most often misunderstand about it? John, let's start with you. 
AI is peculiarly powerful in terms of its potential benefits. I think from a business person's perspective, it is like um, the internet and other seminal technologies that come along now and then that transform the basis of competitive advantage. And uh, it, it is not just another tool to be added to the toolkit. Um, it is a, a moment when, when leaders of every organization need to re-examine their core, their operations, their workforce capability. And since many of us uh, live through the internet period, um, we know that it took a long time for most established organizations to fully appreciate the magnitude of transformation that the internet or digital would bring. And um, a lot of people lost their jobs because they misread it and got disrupted along the way. If we think about artificial intelligence as having that, that same role, it needs to be viewed the same way. And hopefully leaders will avoid a lot of the missteps that um, characterize the past 25 years of becoming digital. Dan, what about from your perspective? How would you define AI to someone who's not familiar with it? And what do you think people just often mistake about it? As far as definition goes, I think John really, really put it out there from at least the way that we're thinking about it, the way that I'm thinking about it as a transformative and disruptive force. I mean, I would even know if I would call it a technology per se, because there's, there are so many elements to this and we're, we're, we're calling it a technology mainly, I think, because of the interface we use and w- w- with which to interact. But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's, it even goes beyond the definition of that. Uh, but to me, I, I, I would, I would just add that I, I think what it's important to narrow down the part of AI that we're talking about. AI has been with us for generation for for a generation, um, or longer, and um, it is something that's been talked about and it's been in films. There's been movies called AI for 20, 30 years ago, so it's not new. Um, but what's new is this is generative AI, and the or the the availability of it now to everybody, and that is ultimately disruptive, transformative, democratizing, perhaps, um, and um, empowering for the individual. So I think what we're seeing and, and what, what I, where I kind of want to sh- want to talk about a little bit here is like in, in, in a def- from a definitive standpoint is it is a, it is a tool and a, a, a sort of intern, a, 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 um, a, 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 a utility player intern that everybody now has at their disposal that can pretty much take care of a lot of the low-level tasks of creativity, of production, of you know work workflows that we um, we had been kind of using, I think, for a long time as that entry-level um, uh, that entry-level experience that that people look to gain, and um, it is something you know that that is uh, ultimately empowering for, I think, for people who understand how to grasp it in that you can now add all of that to your own self rather than need an organization to fulfill all those roles for you. Brittany, what would you add? So I think the definition of AI has evolved over time. I think uh, 20 years ago, people may have said that chatbots were AI, where the decision-making was hard-coded, but then still happened. Uh, to me, the core definition of AI today is computers 
learning and producing models and making decisions guided by, but not dictated by humans. So a human is still typically setting the objective or the goal, but then the computer is running many experiments to then optimize toward that goal, essentially. Um, And what do I think people often mistake about it? Um, I'm going to go really tactical on this one and say, especially when it comes to generative AI and a lot of the new technologies, people don't read the fine print. Uh, So for example, chat GPT, anything you put into that, that becomes the domain of open AI. So don't put confidential information into chat GPT. Um, I think people mistake the legalities and the uh, those parts of it today. Um, so uh, I think Dan and uh, John covered it pretty well, but I, I would just add that little nugget. That's helpful. I'm remembering back to a few months ago when kind of news first broke about this and everyone was excited about it. Kevin Roos, the uh, tech reporter at the Times, had spent, I think, a really disturbing evening with AI asking about its... Uh, I forget what the term was, like its shadow self, all of its darkest, deepest thoughts. And at the time he was writing as if this AI was somehow sentient, it understood things or thought things or felt things. Is that true? I kind of want to defer to John on this one, actually. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not sentient. It does not have a consciousness. It, it It is using language here in response to prompts. And the prompts can be very sophisticated to to trick the generative AI into saying things that seem um, as if it were sentient or conscious or alive, if you will. And I I think that's not to be um, dismissed because in this age where people believe uh, what they see and read and hear uh, on the Internet and other channels, um, the ability for a technology to create something that seems believable um, is not to be dismissed at all because it will shape people's beliefs and, and perhaps actions. We've already seen that with social media in the past 10 or 15 years, and that's raised alarms. This is, this is by comparison, um, much greater magnitude of threat and risk. But technologically, no, the technology is not capable of sentience, at least not yet or for the foreseeable future. If I can just sort of add a little bit to that, because and I'm glad that John answered the most important part of that question. The one thing that, that occurred to me, and this actually goes back to what's the mistake people make with AI as well, is they think it's sentient. They think it's talking to them from some, from some knowledge base, but it's not. It is just putting together pieces of puzzles that have been solved billions of times uh, in a big, big, gigantic data set. So when you know when you ask it something, or when you ask a generative AI something, it is providing you a very coherent answer, but it doesn't know what any of those little pieces mean. It's just it's just putting together. It could be colors. It could be you know. It could be images. It could be anything. But it's putting together like a puzzle that it thinks is going to solve the query. So you know when when you talk about sentience or does it know anything, it's really you know about does the user know anything and does the user understand or the kind of the pilot, I almost call it a pilot, understand that, you know, you're dealing with something 
a technology uh, that has billions, trillions of data points and words and elements and bits and bobs at its disposal. So if you give it too much free reign, it's going to come up with wacky things because it doesn't know where to look. It's easy to mistake that for sentience, that you know you could get that kind of superficial uh, response and say, oh, it's sentient. But you know, once you start to dig, for sure, you, you, know, you understand that, wait a second, it's not really, doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. So, so I think it's fair to say it doesn't know anything, but it has learned a lot through the consumption of tons of information. And it's just really good at guessing. Is that right? I might say the way I think about the way that AI works is it's a lot like evolution. So, you know, evolution happened over a very long period of time, but evolution is random, right? The idea that the survival of the fittest is actually not accurate. It is the survival of the best random mutations that optimize re, you know, reproduction, right? So they're still random, but the ones that are most successful perpetuate. And so in AI, you're giving it a goal and it is just able to make random actions much, much faster. And then it has a check on, hey, was my random action good or bad? It's kind of like the hot cold test. You can say, am I hotter? Am I colder? That's what it's doing. So, you know, OpenAI, for example, was really famous for defeating the world champions of a, an esports game called Dota 2 uh, that I happen to be a, a fan of. And it was a really big deal that they were able to beat the winners um, of the international, which is a big tournament. It didn't start out that way, but it played the game so many times and it made random decisions. And the random decisions that were correlated with winning, it remembered those and then made those decisions again. And that's how over time it learned to win. Um, so I am certainly not um, a developer of AI, so I, I don't want to say that I'm truly an expert, but that is the best way that I understand how it works. And so if you think about that, then I think you pretty quickly understand, oh, it's not sentient, but it does need someone to tell it you're hotter or you're colder. And that's where AI still really relies on humans today. Yeah, let's, let's uh, build on, on this point here. So the, the, it's, it's hotter, warmer, or colder based not only on humans saying, yes, yes, that's what a golden retriever looks like. Um, yes, 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 that's, that's how you win this game. But it's learning mostly from data. Um, and it needs a lot of data to analyze. So the degree to which, Elliot, you said it guesses. Well, what it does is it, it ingests massive amounts of data, which, by the way, humans decide which data will feed the model, the AI model. And then it's looking, it is able to, on its own, uh, look for patterns and structures in the data. So don't think of it as the needle in the haystack, right? With this mountain of data and they're looking for an insight. It's looking for patterns. And if you gave it, um, you know, 10 million images, photographs, it might say, wow, you know, here are like, like a thousand most prevalent photographs. A human says, oh, that one is a golden retriever. <laughs> that one is a motorcycle. That one is a piece of cheese. It doesn't understand that. All it knows is that data 
that that pattern is a piece of cheese and that one's a golden retriever. Now that's called training. Now give it another hundred million images. And I don't I, I shouldn't any longer have to say that's a golden retriever and that, you know, and that's a motorcycle. It, it, it has learned and it will learn now on, on an ongoing basis on its own from data. What data? Like Brittany said earlier, if we're putting prompts into chat GPT, we are providing data that, that it now consumes. It's hooked up to the weather systems. It's hooked up to financial markets. It's hooked up to social media. It's hooked up to the internet. It's hooked up to your supply chain. And again, humans make these decisions as to what data sets feed it. But the, but the fundamental and most powerful aspect of AI versus what's preceded it is the relationship between a world awash with data, I would say a world alive with data, and the ability for these tools, AI systems, to, to uh, learn from it and to make useful or dangerous um, inferences, recommendations, possibly decisions based on what it has learned. So John, you're mentioning all these things that it's connected to, and based on the conversation so far, it sounds, I wanna say relatively innocuous insofar as we decide what goes into it, we ask it what we want it to do, and it doesn't know what else to do but what we ask it. So humans have a lot of control, at the same time, there are really prolific thinkers on AI. Even people who are uh, around at its earliest days, and have been thinking about this for decades, who have expressed serious concerns about AI. It's not unusual, I think, for one generation to fear new technology uh, and think that it's going to kill us all. But that's the kind of language that we hear about AI. And it doesn't sound like it's an exaggeration when they say it. So is AI going to kill us all based on what you know? And if so, why? And what can we do about it? <laughs> AI is a tool and in the wrong hands, yes, it could do very bad things. I'm not so concerned about AI going rogue and the matrix happening yet, but AI will do what humans tell it to do. So for example, in the hands of terrorists, could AI have a goal of something very terrible. Yes. Could AI be used in wartime to pick targets to optimize winning? Yes, it could. And the technology is quite single-minded often because it's, you know, it's programmed to do a specific thing. And if humans don't put really clear guardrails around it, like if you program AI to win a war and you don't say, but don't violate the Geneva Convention and don't commit war crimes, if you just tell it win the war, it's going to do some pretty atrocious things to get to that singular goal. Um, so in, in my view, yeah, it, it has a real potential to be dangerous and it's really important that it's regulated and that it is that there are safeguards in place. But I, I think it's in and of itself, it isn't, you know, it's just a tool. It, but the tool could quite enable many things. So, Brittany, I think what you're saying is obviously, like any tool, in the wrong hands and used the wrong ways, it can be dangerous. But at the same time, it, it doesn't know how to do wrong or to do bad. It only knows how to do what humans 
tell it. So the concern is not that it's going to go off and do things on its own. It's that it's going to misinterpret instructions in ways that can be destructive. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, The other thing I would add to it is speed. It's so fast at learning. The computational capacity is ginormous. And so I think part of the risk is there would be very little time to course correct if something were going quite wrong. Dan, what do you think? It's it's all um, playing out, at least w- from what, it, what Brittany just said, it plays out in my mind, like, I don't know, any number of movies or books we've read on the subject. Think about Joshua and, uh, you know, shall we play a game? It's like it's 40, that's 40 something years ago, right? That we had war games. I think AI could do very bad things, clearly, um, but it, it, getting down to that point, it is about the human uh, that is telling it what to do, or the humans that are telling it what to do, or you know, ultimately the other AI that are telling it what to do. I mean, remember these? There, there is a lot of potential, and there is a lot of interactivity between tools and platforms. So the potential for one to run amok, I don't know. I suppose it's there. Um, I, I feel like it's a human nature problem or human nat- nature question. Uh, that's that's not it's not it's a philosophical philosophical question. What are your thoughts on human nature? If you think that people are are out to destroy one another, like ad infinitum, then we're in trouble. Um, if you think that we are ultimately out to improve humanity and do good, then we're probably in a good place or a better place. So the truth is, of course, somewhere along that spectrum, I suppose, for everybody. But the one thing is that um, if AI is based, or if the knowledge, or the I don't want to call it knowledge. If the the answers and the data that AI can provide us is based on what's been input into it, into it, um, looking at the vast body of human entertainment literature and science fiction, I would think that they might, the AI might come out on the side of I better not destroy people because in the long run they always lose in our in all, in all of our entertainment most of our entertainment so you know if they're watching yeah we can have a couple of a uh, couple of centuries of terminator-esque hellscape to deal with but in the end sarah connor's going to come along and and we'll all be okay so you know it's it's really I, I think it's it's a fun question to to band to bandy around that is the most pessimistic optimism i've ever heard <laughs> thank you When we were talking to prepare for this, one of the things that we thought was really important was establishing kind of a baseline of literacy. Um, And and it's kind of what we're talking about here, right? We need to understand what this is, what its capabilities are, because a lot of its ability to create value or destruction depends on our ability to create constraints around it, to use it responsibly, to regulate it effectively, Uh, But the literacy piece, what do you think people need to understand in order to use it effectively? Uh, And in what ways can that take place? Like how can the public or people in general become more educated about AI and its responsible use? Uh, Literacy is needed and there's probably a few um, heaping tablespoons of technology literacy. And we've just talked about what makes AI uniquely different. but there needs to be a lot of other aspects of literacy. And again, I liken it to the internet period where it, it, how much of it, how, how many of us even today understand what TCP IP is or how a web server works or H, you know, HTML, whatever. I mean, I, I really couldn't 
unpack those things for you. But but our literacy about what to use it for, its limitations, its risks, um, choices, decisions, uh, that, that needed to be enhanced in every profession. Something similar is needed now. We, we do have to understand what makes this technology different, um, powerful, dangerous, and also connect that new capability with whatever we do in our professions, you know, whether it's teaching or, or, or healthcare or marketing um, or finance, whatever it is, say, what, what can this do? So if you understand that this is really about data, um, you're going to, part of literacy or fluency is to be uh, smart about what questions to ask and what answers to insist and how to interrogate those answers about the data that's being selected going into these models. You know, as we discussed prior, previously, people make decisions about the data sets used for training and for ongoing learning. And once you understand, too, that while these systems are not sentient, they can be autonomous. Um, you, you just have to go and look at um, what happened to Zillow you know, uh, I think I think it's before the advent of ChatGPT, right? That wasn't generative AI, but it was a form of AI where algorithmic control did not have enough human oversight, and that algorithm almost destroyed Zillow because it kept on buying properties or something like that, right? And this is an example of of allowing a system that's hooked up to real-time data. In that case, you know, what houses are available and the pricing and all that sort of thing, and just letting it go. And it, and it led to nearly the bankruptcy uh, of that company. What John's referring to here is an ambitious but ill-timed effort to use an algorithm to identify which home Zillow could purchase and flip for a profit. The only problem is the AI just didn't flag these opportunities. It actually bought the homes, 28,000 of them, of which it could only sell 17,000, recording a $300 million loss for the company. The algorithm wasn't able to factor in market conditions that during the pandemic were especially volatile. There's a saying that these kinds of models fail when history doesn't rhyme. So you asked earlier, Elliot, will these systems kill us all? Well, it nearly killed the company and a lot of people's careers and a lot of investors' money. <laughs> Right. So while, while it may not kill all of us unless unless people hook that thing up into, you know, the nuclear arsenal uh, or something or to the power grid or the transportation hubs or the financial markets, which are all very, very foreseeable, we're, it could lead to catastrophic systemic collapses. Right. And that could be through mistake, Zillow or through malintent. Um, so literacy is, um, you know, technology new questions to ask, new answers to demand, um, and also understanding how the new control mechanisms uh, that need to be put into place so that uh, we can use this new capability wisely. John, the Zillow example is really interesting. It reminds me of a developer many years ago uh, used this phrase, the turkey problem, which I'd never understood. And he's like, look, every day in a turkey's life is the same until the one day that it's not. And so if that turkey's making decisions only based on past data, it has a really difficult time dealing with 
future states that aren't similar to what happened in the past. And it sounds like that's what you're saying these systems, one of the shortcomings is, right? If you're training it on existing data and it's learning about what's possible based on only what's happened, then its ability to extrapolate, to create truly new things or new ideas uh, or to move kind of thinking or society forward is limited because it's limited to what has already been done. Would you say that's fair to say as a limitation? I think it's it's both a limitation, but it's just a fundamental reality of these systems. And this gets you into things like bias, which comes up all the time. Right? Like these systems can perpetuate, you know, historical bias or unfair bias. And why is that? Well, um, every piece of data once captured is historical by definition. <laughs> and if if you build a model based on historical data, you know, let's take an obvious example. Um, job, you know, a system that reads job applicants, you know, job job applications and CVs. And if most of your data set reflects historically who was hired or promoted or compensated, and if that data set historically, if historically you it was you know male and white and it's all that sort of thing, that is pretty pretty clear. Then guess what? The model is going to be trained to look for. You know, it's, it's like that pattern. It's going to keep extrapolating that line out into the future. So when people say these systems are biased, you know, who, who made the system biased? It isn't some, you know, evil <laughs> software person or data scientist saying, I only, only hire these people or only let these people into our universities or whatever. It's in the data. Now, again, the data sets were chosen by people. So if, if they're even not aware of, of, of their biases, right, they're going to select things and they're not, going to, they're not going to examine the data sets to make sure they're representative or they have these in them. And, and that's part of the literacy, you see. We, 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 you know, bias discrimination is not new. What is new is the fact that it could be resident in the data, and there are many techniques to compensate for that. And you got to learn those too. I think we need to double down on critical thinking and just training, uh, you know, anyone really to understand how to interrogate, and how to question everything um, that not only is that's that they should be doing normally and in the course of their work um, to come to, you know, good decisions. It's really about with AI, especially you just questioning what you see, understanding bias at the level that John has just talked about is like, you know, a, a non-critical thinker would say, this is biased, I'm going to walk away, it's terrible, I don't trust it. But, you know, critical thinking is like, okay, let's understand why this has happened. Is there, what can we do about it? Just asking questions and interrogating and you come to different conclusions. So I think I think it's very important that those skills of, of critical thinking, um, iteration, interrogation, um, and, and healthy suspicion and curiosity have to be, you know, really part of any literacy program. That's it for this episode. In our next, Generative AI is already producing some of the words and ideas we post, print, and sometimes say. So what does that mean for professional communicators? And how far should we go in allowing the technology to be the voice of our organizations? So, you know, um, on the one hand, huge productivity because press releases, you know, earnings releases and shareholder letters and M&A announcements all have the kind of sameness to them. Generative AI is ideal for that. However, if you are looking for 
something that is more authentic, more true to your voice style, something that is original, by definition, you know, that's probably not a good tool to use. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at Page, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks to Rivet360, our podcast partner, without whose support, we simply would not be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.